0: Welcome to On The Bounce, where we discuss resilience and its practical application in our lives. Together, we'll discover the tools needed to empower ourselves, develop positive thoughts, and accomplish our goals to become the best versions of ourselves. Hello. What a great day today, especially having my guest Jeremy Lorette and Jeremy, if you don't mind, I really would like to take an opportunity to share with our listeners just really how our relationship has evolved because uh, it's very meaningful to me. So uh, if that's okay with you before we get it before I give you the opportunity to take the mic, I just want to share that. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. So in in your careers, or in everybody's careers, I feel that you come across different people that invoke emotions or motivate you in different ways. And at leaders, as leaders, you progress in your career that ultimately leads to comfort and ultimately confidence. And and sometimes, let's be honest, some complacency that goes along with that as well. It's human nature. I think it's natural to say that we tend to default back to what makes us feel good or what what we we gravitate to, our comfort zone. Um, and But then you meet individuals that shake things up. You meet individuals that challenge status quo and shock you completely out of your comfort zone. And in that moment, you can do one or two things. You can fight or flight and... And in that moment, I think it's really the determining factor as to, you can either ignore and say, you know what, I'm going to stay and stick to my comfort zone with what I know, or you can accept that challenge. And I think that if you do accept the challenge, and that's really the pivotal moment of growth, and that's really what you represent to me. You represent that individual that really shook me out of my comfort zone and challenged myself to ask myself not was i still effective and how relevant and am I, am I to the organization so with that being said i really want to say thank you for not being the leader that i wanted you to be but being the leader that i needed you to be and i really appreciate the the moments and the growth that we've had over the journeys in our relationship
1: yeah. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me on, Samira. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about some uh, resiliency today and, and and leadership. Maybe share some of our uh, experiences together and and uh, just kind of discuss sort of what you let off with, which is you know what how do how do we apply you know ourselves in our positions, whether it's managerial, whether it's leadership, um, and then how we interact with other people. Um, And and how that that applies to, you know, not only resiliency for us as individuals, but kind of our our organization and organizational mentality as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited, too. So I'm going to give you the floor and allow you to introduce yourself and let the listeners get to know who Jeremy Lorette is.
1: Okay. Hey, well, uh, like I said, good morning. Uh, My name is Jeremy Lorette. Uh, I've been a soldier for 22 years, going on 23 years now. Uh, I wish I had an awesome patriotic story like all my young soldiers do about 9-11 and and all those kind of things. But to be perfectly honest, uh, I grew up in probably what would have been a poor uh, family. Uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunities after after my high school education was completed. And on my 18th birthday, a man from a strip mall with a terrible mustache called me (laughs) and said, hey, have you thought about joining the army? And I was like, it's ten thirty in the morning. You just woke me up. I just turned 18. <laughs> I guess I'll listen to what you have to say. That's horrible. Kind of, you know, when you hear all this awesome, like patriotic military stories, like, I, I wanted to do all the things and, and save all the people and, and all that. But uh, it was a, it was a different time. I mean, mm, yeah. uh, that, that, at the, the end of the nineties, things were, were relatively stable, you know, safe. The Gulf war had definitely drawn down. So, um, you know, at any rate, through that time in the military, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to be part of the intelligence community as a, as a signals intelligence analyst. And then also, uh, as the U.S. Army developed its, uh, its cyber core and its cyber capabilities, I was able to transition into that as well. Um, I have an amazing lady in my life. We're getting ready to get married in April. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Means the world to me. Um, my, my military career has many less days ahead than behind. I would say. Mm. At point. So uh, some of the you know, some of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to is, is not only closing out my career and and, uh, and looking back on it as, as what I believe to be fairly successful. But then also, you know, what's the next adventure? You know, how's that going to look? And, and, you know, who do I want to be outside of the constructs and confines of, a, of what is a generally rigid uh, organization that uh, mm. that I've built a lifestyle and a career in, and I'm, I'm getting ready to move from. So that's, I guess, uh, you know, just, just a, a few things about me and, uh, and uh, things that I, things that I enjoy, you know, I'm, I'm moving as I'm moving away from the army, I'm moving towards the ranch, which is, which is amazing. Um, so getting an opportunity, having a purpose, you know, a lot of people talk about having a purpose after mm. the military, And uh, one of the things that I thought with, you know, getting into cattle ranching is, you know, I I think there's I think it's an honorable thing to to feed people. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's an honorable thing to to raise a premium product that uh, that people would be interested in and that, uh, you know, would build my own brand and kind of make my own way in my own name and, and something that has nothing to do with intelligence, leadership, cyber uh, so on and so forth, and just kind of a purely entrepreneurial thing that, that uh, I could jump into and, and hopefully be very successful at. And if not, you know, I, I, I've taken lots of lumps and bumps in my military career. I probably could take a few outside as well and, and, and come out just fine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love the uh, the evolution and the transition, especially how we're how you show your excitement for the next phase and recognizing some of the challenges that are going to come with it. But at the end of the day, uh, it is how you continue to overcome those obstacles. So that's actually just going to lead me right into my first question. And it's what does resilience mean to you?
1: So you know, I, I think. I think resilience means quite a few things. I think there's, there's a professional resilience, uh, you know, the things that you need to have in your workplace to be able to endure, uh, the challenges that your workplace provides you, the stressors that are needed for you to be successful in the workplace. And I also think that there's resilient, your personal resilience as well. And I, I think that, you know, that those two things aren't, you know, mutually exclusive from one another, But I do think that having a separate approach for each is probably the healthiest way Mm. uh, to be resilient. Um, I I will, I can kind of provide you an example, you know, with my current career, there are a lot of people that uh, invest in the profession and the lifestyle. And, and it's wonderful. I mean, that's exactly what, uh, you know, what our military members need to be for the military and for our nation. You know, however, I think that there's some, that it becomes so much of their identity that when you, uh, when you ask them, you know, well, well, who are you, Mm. what do you do? What do you like? Uh, What are the things that you put your effort and energy into other than the military? And it's, it's really interesting because some folks will be like, Oh, you know, I I crochet, you know, I shoot BB guns. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm mud bog on the weekends. I do whatever those, you know, whatever those things are. I love to read. Um, I've, I've had, um, I've had peers and, and other folks that are like education. I love learning, right? It's every chance I get, I put myself into another course and try to learn something new. Um, and that, that's, that's really interesting. People that answer with those types of things tend to be a bit more resilient than the person who's mm. like, My all and my only and my everything is my work, my position and my grade or rank. Um, So, uh, you know, that that's as far as what it means to me, I think being resilient is more than just uh, a particular situation. It's how you apply yourself to each type of situation, whether it's your personal work, your professional work, raising your children Learning something new, uh, th- those types of things.
0: You know, Jeremy, I love the fact how you uh, spoke about identity because I think that all too often people are lost in identifying who they are, and outside of being able to say, "Well, I'm more than my work. I'm more than my position." There's that uncertainty that causes that confusion, or even just the un- the the or uncertainty of what do I do next, and I think that's why sometimes people struggle with t- making the decision to it's time to hang it up. Because what am I outside of my job or my profession?
1: Yeah. So um, let let me be clear. I don't necessarily know that I have uh, the perfect solution for that. <laughs> it is something that it is something that I think everybody struggles with, and it is something mm-hmm. that I think everybody. Whether they're moving from uh, you know Apple to Google, or whether they're moving from uh, some type of federal or state service into the private sector, or from the private sector into federal service, uh, you know whatever those those situations may be, uh, it is a daunting task. Yes, Uh, it is. It is absolutely something where um, you as an individual can can sit there. um, You know, I could say that. uh, that I'm going to be a, an infrastructure manager for, for a cyber company. And that, that sounds fantastic. But the fact of the matter is I'm not qualified Mm. to do that job. I don't have the experience and I don't have the education to be able to do that job. So I I think as it applies to, to being resilient, uh, really it's, you know, are your goals achievable and attainable? Mm-hmm. Um, are there things that you need to be able to do as an individual to make yourself more attractive, um, to a company to do that type of thing? Look, I, I think everybody can, can live the American dream. And if yeah. you want to be anything, you can go out and do those things. Now, if you're 65 years old and you want to become an astronaut, you might have a problem, right? So making those goals kind of realistic and making them achievable is something that can definitely enable you to be more resilient, right, and keep kind of struggling towards getting things done so that you can find yourself either in the right place in life or the right place personally uh, for you to be comfortable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So what are some of the resources you use to – Employ resilience in your organization, or even as yourself as a leader, to be able to handle the challenges that you're faced with.
1: So, so specific to my current career, there's actual training programs uh, for resiliency, where you know it's a it's essentially a suite of tools, uh, different modules that are that are required for people to either annually or quarterly go through. Uh, that talks about, you know, things like hunting the good stuff or, you know, managing your expectations and, and learning how to do do those types of things. Um, and I, I think for young people um, or people that lack kind of have never really had to stop and think about, like, how do I look at things in a positive way? How do I prevent things outside of my control from owning my emotions and, mm. and how I do things. Um, I think those programs are, are a good start. I think it's something that's, that's good to have. Um, however, I think as we mature, uh, we find our best coping mechanisms for ourselves. Mm. Um, so I've worked and managed uh, organizations that are upwards of 19,000 people. Uh, And and when you're talking about that type of that type of company or organization that's working globally 24 seven trying to get things done, it's it's really mostly about um, the leader's vision. And it's also about how that organization moves and how it's influenced. Right. And and um, and things that you and I've kind of talked about before is, you know, the different types of leadership styles that go in into that. Right. So in a small organization, you say, everybody sit down, take your resiliency training and everybody check, check, check. You, you know, that's directive or, or direct leadership style. And those, that means those tasks are getting done. You know, when you start talking about getting much larger than that uh, and looking outside of, you know, where you can actually, you have a touch point with every single one of your employees well, now you're really talking about um, trying to make people resilient through policy. You're mm. trying to make them resilient through uh, vision, the leader's vision, what goals they're trying to do. And then uh, one of the one of the things that uh, <clears throat> that I used to to write about when I was writing papers on leadership was, you know, an organizational mentality. Mm. And you know, if you look at companies like Google. Google has this amazing organizational mentality that says when you come in here, you need to, you know, when you're working hard work, but we're always going to have a banana and a muffin for you at the front door. You know, Uh, we expect premium results out of all of our workers and we want the best and most highly technical people to be able to solve some of our problems. But we also want to make sure that, uh, you know, you got a place to take a nap. Right. And those and those are really interesting things. Right. Because you you look at that and and you have to say, wow, man, the overhead, the overhead for a company like that must be just really, really expensive. But but what are they doing? Mm -hmm. Right. They're providing an opportunity for their workforce to be able to either step back to take a break from the, the stressors or the issues that they're having or they're allowing their workforce to say, hey, you know what? We expect you to get the task done. And, yes, there's going to be a timeline established with that, just like every other company, right? Like we want to get things done on time. However, we're going to provide you ways for you to cope, for you to recharge, for you to refuel, and for you to get back on task and do the things that, that need to be done for the organization. So um, it's, it, is, it, is, it is different. I think resiliency is different at a smaller scale level than it is at a large scale level. Um, But it really does boil down to the individual and how well they bounce back, how well they handle stress. You know, what coping mechanisms do they have? Uh, How are they using those coping mechanisms? You know, those are the, those are the things that really um, are interesting. and, And I don't necessarily know that there's a barometer to be able to measure that.
0: Hmm. That is interesting. So as a leader, right, what are outside of the training that is uh, available to the your uh, to your team and your your individuals as what do you do to continue to um, motivate individuals or your leaders to continue to um, increase the awareness of resilience?
1: So I I think the best thing that uh, the best example I could use is the one that we're all suffering through right now. And Mm -hmm. the one that is the one that has changed everybody's perspective globally. Um, And that's the that's the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, the the reality is uh, whether you want to believe it or not, going back to normal is not going to happen. There's no such thing as going back to normal because we've learned a lot of things through through the pandemic, we've learned that people can still be productive without paying for the overhead for massive buildings, right? We've learned that people, uh, as so long as they have connectivity and they're able to uh, communicate, can still do most of the things or all of the things just efficiently as they did before that they were doing in an office building, right? So, you know, any company, any company that's paying attention is going to, is going to look at it and say, Hey, we saved a lot of overhead by allowing people to telework. Right. Um, As, as the pandemic kind of hit, I was in charge of a a few hundred people um, working, working, uh, working in cyber defense. And, and realistically the way, that I approached resilience through the pandemic was lay off of things that don't matter. Mm. And, 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 and what I mean by that is, you know, in federal service and, and, uh, in military service, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things in place such as grooming standards. There's a lot of things in place, um, you know, such as you know, programs where it takes a it takes a lot of human interaction, right? Uh, we have programs in place that say, hey, you know, one of the things that you need to be able to do is be worldwide deployable all the time. Therefore, you need to be able to have a plan for your family, mm-hmm. right? And, and one of the first things that I did is as it really started coming to light that this was going to be a major issue and that we were going to have to take extensive steps to mitigate risk to people, risk to our family, risk to our service members, uh, was I said, hey, stop doing the stuff that doesn't matter, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, and and, and this, would probably, this would probably hurt some feelings out there, but I was like, it's okay if you don't go get a haircut <laughs> so that you don't get coronavirus, because <laughs> we didn't know. You know, in March, we didn't know. We didn't yes. know, you know, it was mask on, mask off. It was, you know, this thing can stay on a tabletop for 18 years and you could pick it up. It was all this different. People were doing their best to provide information. But the fact of the matter is they weren't applying patience to that mm-hmm. and ensuring that um, that they had it. They had a message that would be enduring, I think. So mm-hmm. what did that do? That caused a lot of fear that caused a lot of problems going back to that program I was talking about with the families, you know, that was one of the things that I talked to my boss about. I said, Hey, nobody can do a family care plan because nobody can fly Yes, because nobody can move because, you know, the grandparents that would take care of them are in the, in the range. It's the most at risk.
0: Absolutely. Or
1: the parents are, or whatever. And Really, I think the way that our organization allowed for solid resilience during the pandemic was to just back off of people mm. and let them manage their Corona situation mm. so that they could still be effective and efficient at work and defending the nation. Right. So um, it's I think every organization looked at it differently. I think every leader looked at it a little bit differently differently. It obviously took uh, the federal government and the Department of Defense a little time to figure out. Okay, like, what really matters? What do we need to write policy for so that we can prevent people from doing things that uh, that that are not effective in making a service member have to make a choice between their career and their family, right? Wow. And that was that was one of my. One of my sticking points as a leader during that time, I said, don't make people choose yeah. between the service and their family. We need to we need to afford them the opportunity to take care of their family. And then when the time comes for them to, to make a choice to stay in the service or not stay in the service, the way that we treat our employees right now is going to make a massive difference in how they see and view their military service and whether or not they want to continue. It's also going to make a massive difference in how their spouses and children think about think about their service. So, um, so these are the types of things that I think we do, or the types of things that we should be doing for people to enable our employees to be resilient. And ultimately for our organization to be resilient. The fact of the matter is, if you have to shut down an entire section of your company Mm -hmm. because you didn't do some of the simple things like, hey, you know, when you're in at work, whether you believe in a mask or not, just wear one. Right. (laughs) Because it's part it's part of keeping other employees safe. Um, You know, whether you believe it or in it or not. On your way out the door, you know, hit the doorknob with a little Lysol, wipe down your keyboard in case somebody else needs to use it. It, It's those simple things, because realistically, if you do those simple things, then the risk to your production, the risk to uh, the operations that your organization needs to get done is mitigated to the point where even if you have a few people that come down with the virus, um, they're not going to decimate Either the organization or you know a total a total group of people because the reality is without people there's no organization.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you hit on so many uh, points that um, I, I definitely kind of want to circle back, especially when you are speaking about direct, indirect, and direct leadership. Right. So when we look at the traditional style of leadership and how uh, we have direct leadership at you know, the leaders at that level are the, the ones accomplishing the task. So when we look at now at this virtual world, how are we, how are we providing that purpose and that guidance to, uh, change how we are providing direct leadership?
1: So, so this is actually near and dear to my heart right now. I, I just changed organizations. Mm Um, I, I now work in the Cyber Training and Education Directorate, which is amazing. We're we're a schoolhouse. Uh, you know, we get to teach and train uh individuals at all levels, which mm-hmm. is which is really it's a really awe-inspiring job. It's something, you know, to educate somebody is just you you're giving them a gift that they're gonna be able to use forever. Absolutely. And and it's fantastic. Uh but to your point. Goodness gracious, trying to learn a name. You know, when you have uh, I, my understanding, I'm still kind of transitioning with, with my predecessor. But my understanding is there's probably about 140 people um, in my organization. And just trying to get to the point where you learn the names of everybody <laughs> and who manages what. Uh, You know, for for me, there's been a decent amount of like looking at line and block charts going, okay, this course has these people. And and that's probably a very old school, like uh, how you learn how to do uh, uh, multiplication Mm -hmm. type of method. But it's something that works for me. I'm a visual tactile learner. So I know Mm -hmm. that about myself. Um, Also knowing that about myself, it makes it really hard for me to... Uh, get to know my organization when I'm looking at Microsoft teams and there's no cameras on right? <laughs> so I'm looking at these little weird icons with with initials uh, in them so I that that is one thing and and uh, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to walk out of the place and just change the world and I have done that before and I think it's actually something that uh, in the military we we sort of promote get in there and get after it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And through a few years of experience and some leadership uh, I sort of, I'm at the point in my career now where I want to find out why we do it the way we do it before I just come in and change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I, I think one of the things that will have to change dynamically uh, is if we're going to use, a platform such as teams or zoom or whatever, whatever media platform that we're using to communicate on, like we're going to have to get to the point where y'all are using a camera. I can see your human face so that I can start to understand your visual cues so that I can understand your, you know, your facial expressions as we discuss different things, because you, you lose, you lose a lot of that human dynamic, when you're just basically talking into the ether at initials. Um, And there's, there's something, there's something very special about how we communicate, how our body language communicates. And if you're paying attention to a room, it helps me as a leader and a manager to go, Hey, Billy, uh, it kind of looks like you uh, like you're not really in agreement with what we're talking about. I, you know, do you have an opinion? Mm. You want to share that opinion and that gets lost if you don't have the ability to see one another. And, and, and I think it's, it's uh it's fine. I think it's fine over video. It can be done. Um, you know, the other, the other thing that I think uh, is helping me personally and professionally is, as I'm working in my new organization, I have selected the leaders to come in and we, we do the social distancing. We do all those things, but um I have sat down with, with them and I have, you know, what are your challenges? Where would you like me to go? What would you like me to see? What are the things that you're proud of? What are the things that we should be working on to make things better, more efficient, you know uh, the best use of our resources, you know, things, things like that. So um, COVID definitely brings, bring some challenges. Uh, it was easier in my previous organization because we all saw each other all the time before COVID hit. Uh, however, you know, in, the, in this new world, it's it's going to be more about learning people as quickly as you can via virtual means. And then also asking, I think it's really important to ask, where do you think you need me? Mm. Right? How do you think... I need to be engaged on your behalf to make things better for your part of our organization. Right. And, uh, and you know, the other piece is you, you can't, you can't be totally fearful of everything. You know, if, if it requires me getting on an aircraft and going and sitting down eyeball to eyeball with another human being, that's being an obstacle, I am absolutely willing to do that for us. Right. No problem. Um, Definitely no problem after this whole vaccine thing, you know, hit me twice and I think, uh, I think I'll think i be ready to go. But but it, but it's part of my it's part of what I have to do for the yeah. organization and to elicit that feedback and for people to feel that I'm open enough for them to be able to give me that feedback. Really, really important. I, and I you know, that's another aspect of, you know, are your people resilient enough to have that conversation with you? Mm. Uh, Are you resilient enough to sometimes bite your tongue and listen to it? And even if you don't agree with it at all, you know, understand, you know, what's happening in the room. Mm -hmm. What are the facial expressions telling you? What are the what are the comments telling you? So um, I think that's probably the best way that I can answer that question, because to be perfectly honest, I'm struggling. uh, I'm struggling mightily with it right now. Uh, But I but I do see a way ahead. And I think it it really boils down to repetitions and then maybe just a couple of tweaks to the business practice. Like, hey, if we're going to be on teams, you know, put your clothes on, (laughs) you know, shave your face or whatever you do, got to do in the morning, get in front of your camera, put a smile on and let's go to work. You know that that's uh, so that that may be something without without changing the whole culture of the training and education directorate just uh just turn your camera on. Right? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's take a look at each other. Let's make sure we're doing all right. And I I also think that you can learn a lot about a person by looking at them in the morning or whenever your meeting is. And hey, you doing okay? Yeah. You're looking a little this, you're looking a little so um yeah, that's I think that's the best way I can answer your question.
0: You know, I I love that because you you are so right when we miss some of those small details that makes the cohesion in a workplace so special. Uh, You're able to go to work and despite how you feel, you make that connection. That individual tells you that joke, those things that you become so accustomed to sometimes get lost, especially when we're talking about social media platform, uh, Individuals sometimes may not be as willing to have a community ha- have that co- that conversation or to interject interject their personality that adds to the diversity of the workplace. So I I agree that you know those small little uh, social social norms sometimes are uh, lost. You also mentioned um, asking you're coming into this new position and asking how do you find that balance between um, implementing new initiatives. And not being redundant.
1: Um, so I, I think there's a couple of ways that you can do that. I, I think the first one is you need to rely on the experience that's already there. Mm. Right? You have to realize that you're the new person. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking feedback from the workforce and then being able to turn to my boss and say, OK, boss, this is the this is the feedback I'm receiving. After receiving that feedback, I'm not just going to regurgitate it on your desk and make more work for you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to analyze
0: mm.
1: what was what was said to me, and then now that I have an understanding of the situation, and I've been able to ask questions, I've been able to uh, get responses, and I've been able to do a little bit of analysis. These are the things that I think. And oh, by the way, you've been here much longer than me. Is the ship getting off course? Mm. You know, can you help me understand? if the things that I'm starting to learn now are something that's a big deal, uh, something that, you know, we probably need to look at, but doesn't need to be a short-term issue. Or is this something that if I went ahead and took action right now to resolve it uh, or to, or to mitigate the issue, can, can it be done? Should it be done? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's, it's not just, it's not just hearing from the organization but it's also what does the boss want mm. you know what is the what does the employee workforce want you know how do i understand those problems how do i communicate those things not only up to to my next level but then back down so as a leader if you're asking for feedback you must provide feedback mm. and it, it is something um I, you know, I can't, I, I would, I wouldn't generalize other leaders, um, but I can say, especially as a younger leader, I was not very good at that.
0: Mm.
1: I would direct, I would get information and then I would go forth and do things, but providing feedback, that's something that, that's something that builds trust.
0: Mm.
1: And that trust really goes to the, goes to the topic that, that you're focused on, which is resilience. You you are going to be more resilient as a team member when you trust the people around you. Um, so, you know, th- those are the, as far as my current scenario goes, that's kind of the way that I view it. I guess I'll have to talk to you in a couple of months and tell you if it all <laughs> blew up or fell apart. But, you know, th- these are the types of things, you know, get the information, analyze the information, push the information higher, Right you want me to take action some action no action when right mm-hmm. and then going back to those people that provided you that initial information say hey by the way we we did hear you we do understand what's happening i understand what's happening as a leader and these are the things that we're going to do or because of your lens that you look through um you didn't realize that this isn't really a systemic problem. It's actually just a problem within your part of the organization. Mm. So what, what do you recommend happens for us to be able to resolve that? Because after looking around the rest of the organization, nobody else is having this problem. It's unique. Can we resolve it at the, at the lowest level? Do you need my help to resolve it? Do we need to go above my level to be able to resolve it? Um, but this is, That's all just kind of part of critical thinking. It's part of communication. I think it's part of building trust with other people.
0: You know, I think you're right. And well, not. I think you're right. I completely agree with you. And I appreciate the fact that you've made those connections because sometimes um, individuals get so tunneled visions or leaders get so tunneled vision in what they're doing and what they provide. Although what they ask is not necessarily wrong. But recognizing the different impacts of leadership at different levels, and I know you have not, you and I have talked about this before, but yeah. sometimes it gets lost. And being able to recognize the different levels and impacts.
1: So other people talk about uh, talk about. I'll call it the pie syndrome, right? So um, you you look at your organization and you look at it like a pie tin. You're like, this organization is an apple pie. Or cherry, or whatever your favorite is, right? I
0: like apple pie.
1: (laughs) Uh, Fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, this organization is an apple pie, and then when you start getting down into the eaches or the components or subsections or or sites within your organization, people would be like, "I am the pie," right? And it's because they're not looking. They 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 either don't have uh, the perspective to Mm -hmm. be able to understand how they fit into the total of the organization. They don't have the experience um, of of being higher up than than where they've been. Possibly it's because uh, leaders aren't communicating the vision all Mm -hmm. the way down so that people understand, like, hey, if I'm a widget maker, this is actually going into a frame and that frame is going to become a Trojan horse. Right. Uh, For for example. Uh, So so these are the these are the types of things that, that happen. And, and I giggle about it. And, and to your point, you know, I, I now work in training and doctrine and everything on this side of, uh, of the forces training doctrine, training doctrine. Uh, and, and I totally, I totally get it. I, I really do. But, you know, for me, I've been around, I've been around the cyber corps so long and done so many of the uh, and participated in so many of the different types of missions that for me, yes, absolutely, training and doctrine. But we're doing it to provide something, right? So, so it is. It is immensely important. It is. It is honorable. It's wonderful. Uh, I, I think it's going to be an enjoyment uh, for the remainder of my military career to be able to do to be able to do this job. However, I realize that I am producing something to be used somewhere else. Mm. And that's, that's really, I think that's really important. I also think that people with the right kind of maturity and experience, uh, are able to see that, um, and understand like, this is what I do for, or this is how it fits into. Um, but we can, you know, I don't think it's exclusive to any sector, uh, But there is there are definitely people that this is what I do and this is the thing like, well, it is a part of all of the things that we do. Um, So really, uh, really, that's kind of that's kind of the the way that the pie kind of works for for me and the way that I think about it is like, don't let your slice of the pie become the whole because you got to understand where you fit in.
0: I I absolutely agree. And I think that you hit on um, such so many great points. Um, But understanding leaders have to be able to articulate that shared vision, I think, at every level. Um, I know that it's something that I struggled with coming into the military was that we were separated from leadership. We were part of the training company, and our goal was to focus on becoming soldiers. And that's that's what that's what our job was. And as we continue to transition within within the ranks of the military, um, you fared that leadership where you didn't really understand how you fit into the rest of the pie. And I think that if leaders were to take the time and to not coddle, but just share the bigger vision early in careers, I think it has a positive impact of, to close that gap, that, that gap as far as uh, being able and understanding what I contribute to.
1: So, so this is a really, this is a really important uh, thing to discuss here. So, uh, and and especially when you're young in the service uh, or even mid grade in the, in the service or, or any other company um, I would assume it is, it is very easy to think that like the people above me have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know they You know when I get up there, I am going to revolutionize everything. And uh, and I don't know, I don't know a young service member, uh, especially that that does a full career, that at some point doesn't think that yeah. or verbalize that. Um, so I, I did have a, a wonderful opportunity uh, in my career to work for multiple very senior officers in the army and you know, they, they will do the, the most senior folks in the military will do summits and they bring all these very, very senior leaders together and they talk very plainly with one another about the issues that the, the army is having. having. Mm. And what is fantastic about it is they literally talk about the exact same things obviously on a much more strategic level mm-hmm. that people are talking about in lower echelons. Mm,
0: interesting. Um,
1: it, so, so it's not, it's not that senior people don't understand what's going on. And it's not that senior people don't want to um, resolve the issues of what's going on. I think a lot of times really what it boils down to is as a frustration Of monstrosity, and what Mm. I mean by that, these organizations are so massive. You know, working in an organization with nineteen thousand people dispersed globally, uh, you have to sit there. You're like, even if I sent an email to everybody today, is my message going to translate? Is it going to go through? And you know, the other the other thing that we run into is, you know, how is that managed? How is that how is that presented? Mm. Um, it's so funny because, you know, you look at all of the technology, you know, oh, you can watch, uh, you know, the chief of staff of the army and, and his monthly podcast, or you could watch the army's Facebook page, or you could watch, you know, Google's initiatives on, um, on, uh, excuse me, Apple's initiatives on social justice. And the way that you could have saw that is you could have saw it through, um, through an interview, I think it was on um, 60, 60 Minutes, and then also through, you know, their what they put on LinkedIn, what they put on Facebook, what they put on, you know, all of these different things. So you have all these very senior people, and they're trying, They're like, I am broadcasting on SharePoint. I am broadcasting on PowerPoint. I'm broadcasting on LinkedIn. I'm You know, they're, I, I am trying to get the word out, and it just doesn't necessarily always translate. Mm. You know, the way that uh, the way that, that we'd want it to. And and I think that's one of the major um, I think it's a major issue that is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I also think that uh, truly, truly effective leaders realize that they have to be able to leverage their technology in order for people to understand what they're saying it how they're saying it, why it matters. Right. Mm. Um, you look at. Uh, there were at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic or, or shortly after the beginning, we had senior officials in the military. that were like, look how long my hair is. You know, they would tweet <laughs> like this is my hair. It's OK. You know, and, and and why? Why was that happening? That was happening because there was still a prevalence and mentality at multiple levels that said, we don't really care what's going on. We're still going to, we're still going to, we're still going to. And then you have these, you know, way high up leaders that are having to do, maybe not having to, but felt like they wanted to show like, it's okay, right? We are in the middle of a global pandemic. None of us have trained to respond to a global pandemic within a military formation, everybody stay calm, right? Um, so, I, I think that kind of I, I think that sort of speaks to what the problem is, um, but it also speaks to um, you know there are certain leaders out there and that will that will just whatever it takes to get the word out, mm-hmm. whatever it takes for people to understand whether it's a tweet whether it's a, a, you know, a Facebook page, whether it's a unit page, whether it's SharePoint, whether whatever it takes, they will, they will just continue to hammer home, hammer home, hammer home the message. And anybody that's worked with very senior people that have the opportunity to have a vision for an organization, every time you hear them speak in public, they will say the same three things. At the beginning, they will say the same three things at the end. And it's because they're trying to communicate effectively to massive, massive organizations. And it's just a, it's it's a huge challenge.
0: Mm. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Uh, and uh, and you see it and it's constantly it's a constant ch- challenge, like you said. And I don't know um, I don't know how to close that gap, but it's also just being able to talk and putting it out there and, and making and, and increasing the awareness. So to me, one of the importance of recognizing the importance of leadership is being able to influence. And uh, today you have mentioned so many different ways in how you influence. Let's talk about mentorship and how that plays a huge part of leadership.
1: So I, so mentorship is absolutely um, an aspect of leadership. I think, if, I think if you're effective as a leader, then people are going to seek you out. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it, it is funny. Well, I, I don't know that it's funny. It is interesting to me that there, there can be, um, there can be a mentality that's like, in order for me to get mentored, I have to, you know, be in a room with the person sitting down They have to write something down for me. I have to write something down for them, you know, whether that be a counseling or like a evaluation report or a quarterly uh, evaluate, whatever those things might be in different, different types of organizations. Um, But really, you know, if you're, if you're an effective leader to your employees, they're going to come find you. Mm. And what's going to happen is your experiences together Uh, The way that you negotiate problems, the way that you treat people, the way that you communicate with people, that is something that those that understand what you're doing, they will take that and and see that and they will begin to emulate it. And realistically, that emulation um, is absolutely indirect mentorship as I guess right. what I would, what I would call it. Mm-hmm. Now everybody wants to be an original, right? I, you know, I, I, uh, I probably wanted to be an original athlete of some kind at some point or, or, or whatever. And nobody wants carbon copies of the same thing. Um, but there are certain attributes that make for very effective leadership. Mm. And you know, they're, there's always the chicken or the egg conversation. Were you born a leader, or <laughs> you developed into a leader? Well, probably a little bit of both, right? right? And it's it's so it's it's interesting to see how different people answer that question, um, and and how rigid they are to their belief as well. I think that's something that's also really interesting. You're you're born a leader. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm like whoa, whoa. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that you you know. Everybody can be mentored. Everybody can be um, influenced to kind of change uh, how they interact with people. Um, But yeah, I I think that I think sometimes we put too much into, like, we put mentorship into this box, and it's like unless Mm -hmm. I'm getting unless I'm getting this much time with my leader, or unless I'm getting these questions answered, or you know, mentorship can happen over lunch.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Mentorship can happen. You know, it kills me to this very day, but you will see service members that will gripe and complain about how many hours they put in during the week. And then they get released for the day and they will literally be standing out in the parking lot (laughs) talking to each other at five o'clock in the afternoon. And if you don't break them up, they'll just stay there. They'll just stay there, and and why is that happen? Well, it's because they're sharing experiences. They're mm. they're laughing about what so and so did. They're frustrated by you know the the volume of work. They you know just bought a new gaming system that's super awesome, and everybody's got a you know there's a million reasons for it, but it's so funny to me to watch that and it's prevalent everywhere you go in the service yeah. where it's just like we just work I get up at four o'clock every morning and then you, you get released for the weekend and uh, and they're just standing around they'll do it for an hour and a half two hours stand out there in the parking lot and talk so anyway, that that's a uh, maybe that's just old old army old army memories and stuff there but um, mentorship is something that can happen. All, all the time.
0: Absolutely. The time. Absolutely. And I think
1: forcing it into uh, a computer program or forcing it into a, you know, you're not mentoring me if we're not sitting down for an hour a week or, you know, for an hour a month or something like that. I, I don't think that's that's necessarily healthy um, because then a lot of times something like that turns into something very directive, Mm, you need to true. do these things, right? Whereas if you're experiencing your leaders, you're around your leaders, you can see how they're acting and reacting. You can see their messaging.
0: Mm.
1: They say the same things over and over again. Like, why why would that person say that over and over and over again? Well, one, they're trying to get their message out. And two, they want to make sure people hear what they have to say. Because, again, big organizations come with big communication challenges.
0: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Amazing. So before we close, uh, close the uh, platform out today, I definitely would like for you to share, um, especially as you continue to evolve in your journey with your wrench, where can people find you if um, if people in the area that would like to get information and how they can start putting your their name in the wait list to receive products, if you don't mind kind of sharing and what your vision for that is.
1: Yeah. So, um, so my ranch is called the overlook ranch. Uh, we have a Facebook page called overlook ranch, Georgia. Uh, we specialize in uh, British white park cattle. Um, we are going to do a grass fed beef operation. So for people that, you know, want to know where their food comes from and want to make sure that the animals were treated right. And, uh, you know, maybe have some, have had some issues, uh, you know, in their family with cancer, things like that. And, and they just want a cleaner product. And that's, that's kind of what we're shooting for. You know, in addition to that, uh, we live in Glasscock County, Georgia. It is not the wealthiest County in the state of Georgia. As a matter of fact, I think it's in the bottom three. Um, and what, uh, what Aaron and I would love to do is find young men and women that just don't have the means to be able to like go to the fair and show cattle uh, to be able to come out and, you know, Hey, you know, pick it, pick your heifer, you know, pick your steer, you know, you come out, you, you put the work in, put the work in to train them and halter break them. And then we'll, we'll put the work in to make sure that you and that cow gets to the fair. We'll make sure they get fed and they look good and all the things that need to happen with them happen. So, and I think that's, I think that young, young men and women having an opportunity to be around a little bit of hard work and a little bit of dirt and, Maybe a cow pie or two is, I think it's good for them, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, So that's, that's kind of, that's the gist. And that's the, that's the cattle side, side of the business. Um, Our company that we operate under is called bovines and bouquets. Mm. Uh, So obviously we talked about the cow side and on the bouquet side, uh, Erin is an amazing gardener. Mm -hmm. She, uh, she can name every plant, flower, weed, you, I mean, stuff that I don't even pay attention to. That's why I don't walk around too much around her steps. I can't tell if I'm crushing the goods or not, but um, you know, her, her plan is to do a cut flower farm and to be able to kind of do something that's beautiful. And, and uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's delivering a product to florists or, or doing direct sales for people, you know, it's uh, it's funny what a little, what a little vase of flowers can do for a room. Right. She just, she loves it. And, and uh, you know, for, for me, I don't know that I'm partial to flowers, but the more I was around flowers, I was like, Ooh, this one's pretty, that one's pretty, you know? So, so that's been, that's been wonderful. So I guess that's the one, two punch of our business is the the bovines and the bouquets and, and uh, we, we are in our infancy. Um, I do break a lot of stuff uh, and, and uh, and probably make some mistakes and layouts and things. And that's, uh, you know, to to the resiliency point. You know, when you when you run over the uh, watering system with the with the mower uh, for your lady's garden, you got to get out there and <laughs> and, uh, and fix it, right? Fix you got to be it. resilient enough to fix it, and figure it out. So, uh, but hey, thank you so much uh, for having me, Samira, um, and and just kind of sharing thoughts with one another and and talking a little bit about sort of what we do as as people and leaders. And congratulations on your uh, on your podcast, your transition from the military. I'm, I'm very excited for you. It's, it seems like you're, you're very excited about uh, your new lot in life as well. And I hope for nothing but uh, high success and good times for you.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Jeremy. And uh, I look forward to more conversations with you. As always, Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and listening to On The Bounce. If you would like to read more on the topics discussed in today's episode, I have included the links to the research I have referenced in the episode description. Please feel free to share your thoughts and leave a comment. And as always, see you next time.